Would you open God's precious holy word to one place and keep your finger in the other place? Second Samuel 8, 1 Chronicles 18, they are practically identical. Victorious King David. David, with all of his heart, wants God to be glorified. And as the king who seeks after the heart of God, weaves into every decision and action his love for God and his recognition of the need for the people to be worshipful people. He gave us so many good psalms, you know. I don't know if there's a bad psalm, but he gave us several psalms, worshipful songs, psalms. And this part is the happiest and most significant uh, part of his reign as king in the sense of what he does, what he seeks to do for the Lord in what he is doing for the people. David shows himself to be a good king. His, his concern is for his people. His first concern is that he and God's people serve and honor God. So these things are always carefully uh, placed into David's affairs in this part of, the, of David's reign as king. Part of his dedication to Yahweh, we have seen, was his desire for, Yahweh, for a house of worship to be built for Yahweh. God's not going to let David do that. And when we, when we come to that part in a few chapters, God will explain that David had blood on his hands, a man of war, and that he did what God had gifted him and resourced him to do. And he placed David at that point in time of God's people so that what is happening that we will see here in this portion of the scriptures would happen for the strengthening and the expansion of the kingdom. And all of this, of course, is in the Bible a major part of the Lord keeping his promise to bring to us a savior, the seed of woman. I've spoken of that a couple of times earlier, but it, when, we, when we study these historical type passages, we should keep in mind that this, this is a path that uh, God has hewn out for his people so that ultimately his purpose is accomplished. And the accomplishment of God's purpose, of course, rests upon his Christ. So David 
carries the promise of the Christ. We saw that last time in the covenant that God has made and has reaffirmed in a sense with David and has affirmed that his Messiah would be a son of David, the son of David, and he would be enthroned forever in a kingdom that will last forever. So this is where everything is headed. David invests his life here to seek to do all that he can do from his perspective to accomplish all that God has placed him in this world to accomplish. He wants to completely fulfill all of his calling. And he tries very hard. Of course, we'll see that he's like everybody else in the fallen realm of humanity, except for the Lord Jesus, he, he falls himself. But leading up to that is probably the, the greatest, up until this point, the greatest reign a king could have known, especially among God's people, Israel. He's laying the groundwork for the great prosperous rule of Solomon and laying the groundwork for Solomon, then his son, to build the temple, which would be a testimony to the world that Yahweh is in the midst of his people and that he maintains his relationship through feasts and festivals and sacrifices and the priesthood and, and, uh, and hopefully benevolent kings and this theocracy when it runs correctly is a beautiful thing. So then let's look at it here. Uh, we'll look first in uh, second Samuel, then we'll look at the parallel passage of first Chronicles 18. Second Samuel 8. It came to pass after this. Now that's after the promises that God, in the previous chapter God had made, that David smote the Philistines and he subdued them. And David took Methachamah from the hands of the Philistines. He, ex he extends his boundaries and he is careful to place these safe zones, these buffers between his people and the enemies of his people. And he smote Moab and he measured them off with a line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two cord lengths to put to death and one full cord length to keep alive. And the Moabites became a service to David, bringing presents. Now that sounds rather cruel and it was. Probably is talking about the soldiers that he had uh, conquered, the defeated enemy. They were in surrender. They all had to lay down and he killed two thirds of them. Let a third of them live. And the Moabites uh, became vassals to David's kingdom. Why did he do this? It seems so cruel. There are various reasons that uh, possible reasons that historians, rabbis, and scholars have pondered 
But the one that they all seem to agree upon is this. Back in 1 Samuel, I think it was chapter 22, before David was king, like he, you know, and he was sort of in limbo there. David placed the care of his father and his mother into the hands of the Moabites because they were descendants of Moab. You remember Ruth? Apparently there had been some uh, kinsmanship and friendliness there. But historians, scholars, rabbis believe that the Moabite leaders when David became very powerful before he became king put his mother and his father to death. Now that, that's not said, that's, that's not in the Bible. We don't read that. But there are outlying indications that this is what has happened and it is believed then, though we're not told here, it's believed that this is why David put two-thirds of their army to death. He leaves them a diminished army, not just the diminished ones he left alive, but there would have also been quite a few that he would have killed, he would have slaughtered in, uh, in the war with the Moabites. But he subdued them, and now they have to give a large portion of everything that comes through their economy to Israel. To King David. We'll, we'll learn more about this, I think, when we get over into 1 Chronicles 18 and we read some things there. David smote Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, the son of Zobah, as he went to extend his dominion to the Euphrates River. David's army is a very powerful army, he has tremendous warriors. They have hearts like lions and the spirit of God was with them. And we'll see here in this text how it was they were to have such success. David captured from him 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 footmen, and David hamstrung all of the horses, the horses of the chariots and left over of them for a hundred chariots. So he... He took away the ability of these horses to draw chariots. If you, if you read stories about chariots and the horses that were trying to draw them, these horses were really just horses of war. They were, <laughs> they were like attack dogs. They were attack horses. And they were raised and trained to be, to be very rough and mean fast and powerful. It is noted that at this point in time, apparently David's army was mostly infantry. It isn't until Solomon becomes king that chariots become an important part of the army of Israel. So apparently David didn't want to have to face these chariots again. They, chariots were in, 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 uh, in warfare in this day, charioteers and chariots 
uh, were a significant force. So he ham he hamstrung all of the horses of the chariots and left over some for a hundred chariots. And Aram of Damascus came to aid Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, and David smote of Aram twenty two thousand men. See that was a that was a bad decision from that king, wasn't it? David placed governors in Aram of Damascus and the Arameans became servants to David, paying tribute to him and Yahweh helped David wherever he went. Now there is the significant line. Yahweh helped David wherever he went. This is the will of Yahweh. So what's happening here? Well, David is slaughtering armies, defeating armies that are dedicated enemies to Israel who are the people of God who carried the promise of the Christ. They can't allowed, they can't be allowed to be in certain areas where if they became allies with another of, of Israel's enemies, they might gain an advantage or have the high ground or something. And David had to make sure that that never happened. He will not allow his people to be exposed to danger and he carries the covenant of God with him and so he, he will move with great force to defeat the enemies of Israel and to protect and extend the boundaries of Israel actually into lands that, that God had promised Abraham and he will set up garrisons so that, uh, so that uh, overseen by governors who will see to the collection of the tribute. You pay us money and our army will leave you alone. You remain subject to us, but don't start building up an army or turning on us. We will come against you with great fury if you do. So having been so so thoroughly defeated, not only did they become servants to King David, but a large portion of their economy, everything that they make as a nation is paid to David, the king, for the kingdom of Israel. Still, more about that in, in a few verses here. David took the quivers of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betah and from Baratai, the cities of Hadadezer, King David took huge quantities of copper. And Toi, the king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all of the army of Hadadezer. And Toi sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been Toi's opponent in war, and in his possession were vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of copper. So this particular king sends his son and strikes an alliance, and of course, according to the custom of the day, would also pay tribute, bring a gift, and, and, and uh, 
pay tribute. So now, Toi won't have to worry about Hadadezer anymore, and he won't have to be so prepared for war since Hadadezer has been defeated by David's army, and if he gets a deal with David, that David's army won't come against Toi, and they, of course, then would, would pay him tribute as well, then Toi does not have to worry about war and maintaining such uh, a force, a military force. Now, here's, here's the kicker. These also, the King David dedicated to Yahweh, along with the silver and the gold that he dedicated from all the nations he had conquered. From Aram, from Moab, and from the children of Ammon, and from the Philistines, and from Amalek, and from the spoils of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. All right, here's the deal. All of these that David had defeated, they're paying tribute, but he also took a spoil from the war, which would have been silver and gold and copper. All of this immense wealth that David took from the defeated armies not to make himself wealthy, but what? To dedicate it to Yahweh. Now, what does that mean? That means that when Solomon comes to the throne and begins this extensive project of building the temple, he will do it with practically an unlimited budget because his father, King David, in defeating the enemies of God's people and extracting the wealth from those people, brought, you remember it said that Yahweh helped him, Yahweh helped David in all of this. This whole thing was to bring money and keep it preserved, or wealth, and keep it preserved to be used. I wouldn't have known this necessarily at this point in time, it was being dedicated to Yahweh, which meant that it would be used to the worship of Yahweh. And he understood that the, the, it would be used at a point in time, at some point in time, to build the temple. So when, you get over to, when we get over and the time comes and we're studying Solomon and he builds the temple, it was all prepared and paid for by the nations that King David had defeated. That's an interesting thing to think about. David didn't have to impose, or Solomon didn't have to impose for the temple some kind of tax, or he didn't have to take something away from the prosperity of the people. It was already taken care of by the enemies of God's people. That's how God works. We just have to have faith. So, so all of this has to do in the will of God toward establishing the appropriate fund to be available for the building of the temple. And when it comes time, you know, Solomon, I'm sure you've read the story, Solomon will have the best of the best of everything the world has to offer. Whatever wood is going to be used, it's from the best forests of Lebanon. It is the best of gold and it's the best of silver. And then those, those soldiers who would, who would line up in rank and file 
in protecting the city and in protecting the temple, well, they would have polished golden shields. I mean, it's just the, it's the, the, the splendor of the whole thing is almost beyond imagination. And all of that is possible because of what King David is doing here. And <laughs> people who worshiped another God had their wealth given to David and to the people of God and their tribute, their spoils of war that came from them, all of that would be used for the purpose of the worship of Yahweh. And David made for himself a name when he returned from smiting the Arameans in the Valley of Salt, 18,000 men. And he placed governors in Edom throughout all of Edom. He, he placed governors and all of Edom became servants to David. And Yahweh preserved David wherever he went. So even the Edomites, governors, garrisons, this is where, this is where a force from David's army would be placed. And having defeated these people, they would have no army left. David would enforce his will upon these people to make sure that they paid the tribute that was promised so that they could maintain their identity uh, as a nation. But what's the bottom line? The bottom line is this. Yahweh preserved or saved, preserved David wherever he went. He's undefeated. It's the pinnacle of his rule. Now here's how First Chronicles describes it. He came to pass afterwards, David smote the Philistines, vanquished them. He took Gath and its villages from the hands of the Philistines. And he smote Moab and the Moabites became vassals to David paying tribute. David smote Hararizer, king of Zobah and Hamat. And when he went to the, establish his power in the Euphrates River, David captured from him a thousand chariots, 7,000 horsemen, 20,000 footmen and David hamstrung all of the chariot horses and left or spared of them a hundred chariots. Aram of Damascus came to aid Harizer, king of Zobah and David smote of Aram 22,000 men. David placed garrisons in Aram. Now there would be governors to oversee the work of the garrisons of Damascus and the Arameans became vassals to David paying tribute and Yahweh gave victory to David wherever he went. It was Yahweh who was doing it because it is the will of Yahweh in this world that is, that is being established. And David took the golden quivers that were on Harizer's uh, servants and brought them to Jerusalem and from Tibhat and from Kun, the city's Harizer. And David took huge quantities of copper from which Solomon made the copper sea and the pillars, you see, and the copper vessels. These are going to be used by Solomon, all that David is taking for the purpose of the temple. And to the king of Hamat heard that David had defeated all the army of Hararizer, the king of Zobah. And he sent Hararam, 
his son to King David to greet him and to bless him because he had fought against Hararizer and defeated him for Hararizer had been to his opponent in war and he had with him all vessels of gold, of silver, and of copper. The spelling in the two accounts, these account, Chronicles and Samuel, obviously the same, uh, the same historical events, accounts, but taken from different sources so that in one part of uh, one part of the writing of the Hebrew among the people would have been to pronounce it one way and in another in another part and in a, perhaps another time to pronounce it this way that's, that's the difference but it's the same person but that's the difference it's sort of like trying to read British English along with American English um, or, or something like that. I've, I've, when I used to travel around and lead these, these karate clinics, especially up north, nobody ever knew what I was saying. They couldn't understand me, nor could I understand them. So, so it's, it's either, you're either a Yankee Jew or a Confederate Jew, I guess, one or the other. I don't know. Uh, but they have their different ways of pronouncing and spelling from the Chronicles are from the sources it's taken. Those also King David dedicated to Yahweh, along with the silver and gold that he took from all the nations, from Edom and from Moab and from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines and from Amalek. And Abshai, the son of Zeruiah, smote the Edomites in the Valley of Salt, 18,000. He placed governors in Edom and all the Edomites were vassals to David. And Yahweh made David victorious Wherever he went. We saw that the scripture says that David had made a great name for himself and that Yahweh preserved him. And Yahweh gave him the victory. We also take note. Now there are Psalms. We'd be in this part for a long time if I did this. But there are Psalms that David wrote. That he wrote in praise to the Lord, to the things, the victories that he was winning and so forth. So here's what we get from that. It's not just that this great king is leading a ferocious and undefeated, unbeatable army against all the people who are their enemies around them. David is establishing peace and prosperity for the people of God, Israel. He's looking after his people, but he is also praising God in the process. And that is seen in the Psalms, the many Psalms that he wrote during this period of time. So David is a warrior king, but he's also the sweet psalmist of Israel who after winning a war and swinging his sword and leading men to battle and giving, giving orders, after all of that, he comes back and he praises Yahweh for how Yahweh had done it. Now, in the defeat of these people, this establishes the peace of Israel and it strengthens the stability of the kingdom of Israel. 
it also guarantees and secures these many trade routes that are coming from one part of that world to the other. And all the time they have to pay, they have to pay some kind of travel tax or whatever. And it is Israel who controls all of this. So the economy of Israel at this point is really booming and it really reaches its pinnacle under David's son, Solomon. That's uh, for another time. Now this portion ends uh, with uh, his conquests and his administration. David reigned over all of Israel and David administered justice and charity for all of his people. Everybody was taken care of. All of the exploits of David's armies, the defeat of all of their enemies around them, the tribute that was being paid, the spoils of war that had been brought back in, the establishment of secure trade routes. This was, this was, bringing, this was bringing great, if you will, employment to the people and they had in their economy resources to invest and to even enrich themselves. The people were prosperous and where they weren't prosperous, David took care of them. He administered justice and charity for all of his people. He was a hands-on king. He wanted to make sure that his people were taken care of. And Job, the son of Zeruiah, was over the host that is over the army, David's army. Yehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was the recorder. It's an interesting word. It probably would be something akin to secretary of state. He would keep David mindful of the details of the alliances and the conditions of surrender from the other nations and if something had to be done, then this person would remind David, this, this nation over here is falling behind or, or they're doing very well. Perhaps you should reward them in some way. He was the guy who was right there helping David uh, remember these things. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiatar, were the priests and Sariah was a scribe. Now, they were, the, they were the priests and given special positions, and this was, this, this was a political thing. They had helped David in previous time, and now they're rewarded for their loyalty. And Benayahu, the son of Jehoiada, was over the archers and the slingers, and David's sons were chief officers. They were the, they were the top level of, uh, in the administration. So here's how 1 Chronicles 18 describes that same thing. And David reigned over all of Israel and he administered justice and charity for all of his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the host and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Abimelech, the son of Abiatar were priests, and Shavsha 
was scribe, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Keratites and the Pelatites, and the sons of David were first at the king's hand. So he had his, now this was a massive kingdom. This has really grown under the leadership of David.